just a boy from Kansas out to save the world from chronic diseases. And I truly mean that. Nobody is in control of your health but you. I can't heal you. Your doctor can't heal you. You have to heal you. And it's all about having the education empowerment to know what you need to be changing within yourself, within your life, to set your soul free and accomplish that best life that we all like to talk about. And I truly believe that the greatest medicine of all is to teach people how not to need it. I'm Brendan Vermeyer, the original Holistic Savage. Welcome to the Holistic Savage Podcast. All right, brother, how are you, man? Good to see you. I'm glad we finally got around. <laughs> We've been trying to do this shit for a while, man, so. I gotta say, you know, this is a, a real pleasure, real real privilege. Definitely a guy that I've looked up to for most of my career. And so, you know, we'll dive into all things, list health, functional yep. shit, see where the conversation goes. Ready to do this thing? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready, let's do it. Sweet. All right, so Jay Tata, welcome to the Holistic Savage Podcast, where we like to talk about all things functional health. And I really like to define functional health as kind of the uh, sum of functional medicine, functional fitness, functional spirituality, and functional psychology, because you know, I really believe the great Smiths and Balls teach people how not to need it. And so this is really a passion project for me to give myself an excuse to talk to amazing professionals like yourself. So welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me, brother. It's good to see you. Absolutely. So we're going to start, I'm going to tell you a fun story and tell the audience a, a, a very brief story, just kind of set the stage here, because this is the first time we've ever had a live conversation, Yeah, which is kind of mind-blowing, because I feel like we're just so close in our, I don't know, life path and professional careers. I feel like we've known each other for a bit, but it's all been online and sort of watching each other from a distance. Exactly, exactly. And so... You know, I remember back when, you know, I started my career when I was 19, trainer nutritionist. I know you started your career as a trainer as well. You're going yep. naturopathic medical school, correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I started back. Actually, I started personal training at 15, believe it or not, writing programs for people. So it's it's been a journey. Yeah, I, it sure has. And so, you know, I started out, uh, had my precision nutrition, my NASM CPT, all that, you know, had some success stories under my belt. Uh, but I really wanted to dive deeper, you know, into just metabolic sciences. And so your course, the metabolic effects, nutrition, level one, two, three, that was like the, the turning point in my career. I took that, those courses and I was just mind blown with the way that you took, you know, higher level kind of functional medicine, naturopathic medicine concepts, but more importantly, bringing it back to an understandable level for the client, for the professional in, in a way that you could actually apply in coaching, because I think as we both know, you know, sometimes in the alternative holistic medicine space, we just get lost down these rabbit holes. And if we don't bring that back to reality, to the people that need it, we're not going to get very far. So definitely, you know, I've, I've followed you my whole career and in a lot of ways emulate, emulated you kind of unintentionally just has worked out that way. So I'm mm. very excited to have you on and riff about all things metabolic health. Well, dude, I'm flattered, man, because obviously, you know, on my <laughs> side, right, it's really interesting for me because, you know, to me, I believe we're on this planet to learn, teach, love slash share. And to me, to go from sort of teaching and then learning and back and forth with my peers, you know, so it's like, it's really neat that you, you took courses from me and now I'm learning from you and we get to kind of do that back and forth. And it's just a, it's a really cool process. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you had to, you had to know, you know, yeah, the yeah. backstory and, and it's great because certainly in our space, what I love is there's so many amazing professionals doing so many things. And, 
you know, kind of they have their niche, they have their style. And what I've always loved about your work is how you, you're really combining, you know, you have your philosophy um, side of things, the psycho-emotional, but you're still very evidence-based, you know, knows in the research, uh, but then all the while really trying to apply that in a way that, because, you know, we, we both know what we're dealing with, with 70% of the American population is either obese or overweight, almost 50% of the population pre-diabetic, diabetic. So I'd love to kind of kickstart the convo by hearing your thoughts on just kind of the state of uh, health in America and what you feel some of the, the big things missing from our yeah. health building mindset and approach. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think what's going on in sort of the personal space with people's personal health is actually, believe it or not, mirrored in the professional space. And I think a lot of professionals, you and I are professionals, they may not like this, but I think it's a, it is a, a discussion we need to have. And I like that you kind of brought it up. Here's the way I see it. People out in the world need, you know, they're not, they're not like you and me. They don't love this stuff. As a matter of fact, this stuff to, to a lot of them is something they kind of have to get through. And for a lot of them, it's down the road. Like, it's like, I'll worry about that when I get there. I'll worry about it when I get sick or don't feel well. Otherwise, I'm just going to go through my day. You know, people are just trying to do the best they can. Now you have our group of individuals, and when I say our group of individuals, I'm talking about the broader health group, right? Not you yeah. and me in functional medicine, but I would include very clearly functional medicine practitioners in this. And actually, I would put a lot of this on their shoulder, what I'm going to say. We've got yeah. MDs, we've got chiropractors, we've got, uh, you know, sort of health coaches, we've got um, all kinds of individuals, and we have this functional medicine world. And what we do to market ourselves, which is kind of necessary, is we scare the shit out of people, right? So we yeah. say, there's toxins here, and there's toxins there, and there's toxins everywhere. Beware of all the toxins. Don't eat this. Never eat that. Be aware of that. Please don't eat this. This is going to destroy your gut. This is going to burn up your brain. Like, this is what is going on with people. Mm -hmm. And so what ends up happening is you already have people who are kind of like, listen, I'll worry about that later. I don't love this stuff. And then they're getting this messaging that is all just incredibly confusing. And what the messaging is, is do this. Oh no, now do that. Oh no, now do this. Oh no, now do that. Oh, we were wrong about this. Oh, now we're right again about that, right? So, you know, we've all seen these trends. And to me, it, it drives me crazy. So back when I started my first company, Metabolic Effect, the, the uh, Metabolic Effect was meant even then, when was that? that was, that's longer than 10 years ago now. That's 2005 that I started Metabolic Effect. And at that point, I was just like, this is absolutely ridiculous. So I wanted to, my major goal was to come up with a company. The acronym of that company, Metabolic Effect, was me, M-E, mm -hmm. meaning you, the person, and finding what works for you. And to me, I was like, this is the issue, that we are all different. And when we're scaring the hell out of people, something that might be an issue for one person, gluten, let's say, which is not at all an issue for another person, that is not useful unless we tell that story. Now, mm -hmm. I understand, and I think you understand, and I want to get your, your take on this, but we understand black and white, and we understand marketing. You know, one of the things I teach business now to people, one of the things I always say is if you want to get people's attention, you have to have a good hook. And a good hook goes like this. You think it's X, but it's really Y. Mm -hmm. And so good marketers do that a lot. But that, what that does is that starts to confuse the issue, especially when they start making up the X and the Y, right? Yep. You think it's carbs. It's really gluten. You think it's, uh, you know, 
calories. It's really hormones. You, and, you know, I've fallen prey to this kind of stuff as totally. well, right? We all sort of have. But I think that the state of what we're dealing with is the fact that we are each uniquely different metabolically, psychologically, within our personal preferences. And you alluded to that sort of in your introduction. It's kind of what you do. It's what you're all about. So from my perspective, I, I think what we need to do to solve this is start to say to people, first of all, say, you know what, I get that this isn't your love. I get that you don't want to, uh, you know, worry about this stuff too much. So I'm going to meet you where you are, number one, and I'm going to mm -hmm. slowly deliver this. I'm not going to expect you to go from, you know, a couch potato McDonald's person to a wild salmon and kale person. Mm -hmm. I'm going to allow you to teach you how to eat at McDonald's and slowly transition you into something that might be more helpful. I'm not going to scare the shit out of you with talking about toxins constantly and gluten constantly and how, you know, um, the grains will burn, you know, kill your brain and all these kinds of things. Right. I'm going to try to understand how you are unique as an individual teach you how to read the signals of your body so you can design a program for yourself and have ownership over this. And you and I know as coaches, as soon as you give people ownership over this process and meet them where they are and then help them by, you know, teaching them the fish rather than giving you a fish, you're starting mm -hmm. to solve some of the confusion. So I'll stop rambling and I want to see your take on that and sort of how you see it, because I, I think it's a mess and I think it's easily cleaned up by, realizing those two points. Oh, absolutely. I, I loved hearing that ramble because, you know, I'm a rambler myself and yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, certainly, you know, something I always have loved about you is you're, you're just kind of a real no bullshit kind of dude. And that's how I am because people see right through that. I mean, well, maybe not the masses because otherwise maybe they wouldn't <laughs> fall, fall prey to, but I hate sensationalism. I yeah. hate, I hate sensationalism. I hate bias, which you know, in some ways has kind of been shooting myself in the foot because to your point, especially when you're an entrepreneur, uh, a virtual entrepreneur, like you've got to have your thing, mm -hmm. you know? And so it, it kind of blew my mind because, you know, obviously starting with fitness nutrition and then, you know, I took a hard dive and a hard swing. And, you know, in the past year, I found myself uh, traveling around the nation, lecturing to a lot of medical doctors, naturopathic doctors on, basically bugs and detox, you know, it's kind of my, my thing. But then I was really disturbed because I'm like, yeah, functional medicine. So like, we're all about holistic health and like a functional approach to medicine. But then really what I found is like a lot of these people, it's, it's still very allopathic. And instead of running conventional tests, run a functional test instead of treat with pharmaceuticals, treat with supplements. And it's like, but that's not treating the whole person, you know? And I remember like with precision nutrition, their whole thing is, is one habit at a time behavior modification, which obviously very powerful, but we also kind of get into that sticky spot where it's like, all right, well, people don't have a super strong attention span these days. You know, everything is pulling our attention left and right. And when you have an overwhelming amount of, you know, health destroying habits, if we're only trying to do one itty bitty habit every week for, you know, it just, it was like, we're never going to get anywhere and they lose their attention span. They're not getting results. They want instant gratification. But yeah, these days it's like, if you're not doing a ketogenic diet, intermittent fasting and drinking CBD oil, like you're missing out apparently. Yeah. Um, and so it's exactly like that where people are kind of falling prey. And so 
I think, you know, we really got to kind of get this message to the masses of like individualized. It has to be individualized. And we have to make sure that we are taking that more holistic approach because something that I found, um, like my profile is listed on some other practitioners' websites and some of the inquiries I get. Um, hey, uh, do you treat fluoroquinolone toxicity? And I'm just like, oh God, like what, like, what are you talking about? Yep. You know, and, and such orthorexic behavior, right? Yeah. It's crazy. That's exactly what it is, man. I mean, what we are doing is we are like that kind of stuff I get all the time. And it's some, someone just wrote me the other day and I was kind of embarrassed, but I'll tell you all this because, you know, I, I have my background in this, but she, she writes me and she goes, you know, we get DMs all the time. I'm sure you do. And I try to answer as many of those as I can because I'm incredibly flattered. I love doing my work totally. and I try to take the time to do that. But they said it was something to the effect of what do you think about using e-mycin for blah 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 and I don't you know I'm like what the hell is e-mycin number one and what the hell is like you know whatever you're talking about and this is a lay person and yeah. I've been doing this my whole life right and yeah. I'm thinking so I have to go through and I'm like oh she's talking about erythromycin she's talking about antibiotics you know mm. but it's like they're speaking this lingo because they're following you know some guru and I'm just like I'm thinking to myself and this is an important point, actually, because this is all about gut function, right? It's like, what about taking low-dose e-mycin for gut function? And I'm just like, honestly, there's much easier ways to do that, much more subtle ways to do that that may not make a mess. And I'm get, I would be worried about, you know, going to your doctor and saying, hey, I want these low-dose, you know, sort of antibiotics, unless you're working with someone like me or you or, you know, my sister-in-law, Jillian Tita, who knows this stuff so well. And I'm like, honestly, I mean, I feel like you can do that with food alone. And then there's, you know, of course, really good botanicals like oregano oil and berberine and, you know, um, uh, uh, spore-based probiotics. There's mm -hmm. things that you can do before you sort of drop this stuff in. So it illustrates two points is what I'm trying to say. It illustrates that the orthorexic behavior where they hear this somewhere and then they're like, maybe that's the thing, right? Mm -hmm. And it also illustrates that when you come at it from that point of view, you're missing what an, an, a real expert sort of does in the, in the triage and expertise of the hierarchy of treatment. Mm -hmm. In other words, for me, and I'll just break this down for everyone. I know you know it, Brendan, but I'll break it down for everyone because I think whenever you see this stuff, you have to go back to the basics. And people like Brendan and me would essentially say, listen, first and foremost, the base of this pyramid is going to be lifestyle-based. And that's mm -hmm. going to include changing your diet, managing stress, drinking water, making sure you're hydrated, these kinds of things, and then movement-based stuff, right? Meaning just up and around and not sitting all day. And then from there, it's going to be about maybe getting into macros and calorie counting and micronutrition. And then maybe from there, it's going to be about high-intensity to interval training and sprint training and this and all that kind of stuff. And then from there, maybe we triage up into, okay, botanicals and supplements. Mm -hmm. And then for me at the high, high end of that is drugs and surgery. And they all have their place, but we don't just jump to, you know, these sort of uh, what I would call, I mean, what do you call that? It's, it's kind of like these in vogue treatments that uh, somebody on Instagram who's, who may be a very smart practitioner and is doing this in their clinic to help those people and then posting about it. And then people think that's for them. And that's part of the problem. So what I would ask anyone listening to this is that whenever you hear 
information like this. Go back to this treatment hierarchy. Go back to, yeah. did I do the things that I needed to do with stress management and diet? Am I moving around? Am I doing the base level stuff that a healthy human being should be doing? And then let me go through and say, have I looked at supplements and potential botanicals to you know, make a difference here? And rather than trying to Google all this stuff, because I'll tell you, Google is not research. Google is very opinion-based. Mm -hmm. And it is also those algorithms catch your biases. So they just feed you back what you want to hear. Yeah. And so from my perspective, you want to be very careful about that. And then we can get into stuff like, using antibiotic therapies and stuff like that and leave that to um and i and i know people are going to get upset with me on this but listen there's a difference between someone who's read a book or two books or even is doing research every day and someone who is clinically using these supplements using these botanicals using these uh you know antibiotics and seeing the clinical results you don't get those individual responses in science because science is a tool for averages, not individuals. This is why clinicians are very, very important to listen to. Unfortunately, many clinicians are not great teachers, mm -hmm. so they're in mm -hmm. the trenches doing the clinical work. And then you have some people who are trying to teach this stuff who don't have the clinical experience. And so all I'm trying to sort of uh, help everyone listen, understand is that there is a problem here in going to someone who's not a clinician, what you want is you want someone who's a good researcher who spends some time researching and not, I don't mean on Google, Google is not research. I mean, PubMed, Reads Research is, is sort of trying to stay up to date on the latest, greatest stuff. Also is clinically working with individuals, knows what, you know, has some clinical experience, hopefully in the thousands, right? Mm -hmm. And also, and uh, luckily, Brendan and I, I would say, um, not to toot our own horns here, but I would say we are also good teachers. And yeah. so, but there's not many people who are researchers, good teachers. And, uh, and by the way, to be a good teacher, you kind of have to be a good marketer um, yeah. and a, a clinician. And I would say, look for those types of people. I'll say one more thing here, not because I want to give him credit for this, but Brendan Burchard, who's an internet marketer, mm -hmm. he has a way that he breaks this down. He says there's several different types of researchers. There are uh, role researchers. There's seven different types of experts. Role models. This would be like back when me and you were in our 20s and don't, didn't have a degree yet. And we were just in the gym, lean dudes, healthy and fit, right? We're, yep. we're doing it. We might be inspiring to people. We can say, well, you could try what I want. These are the worst kinds of experts. Try what I'm doing. Maybe you'll get results. They're the worst kind because it's individual, right? Mm -hmm. The next one are researchers, the ones who are in their ivory tower doing the actual research that trickles down to all of us. Now, these people are great. However, they do not work with individuals. So they might mm -hmm. know the science, but they don't know the individual sort of reactions that happen. So they can tell you, well, in this study, they said, eat this much protein. And in this study, we can see that berberine does X, Y, Z, right? And all of this kind of stuff. But they don't have the clinical experience a lot of times. And so they can become very biased. They can, you know, these are a lot of these people who are the quote, evidence-based crowd who mm -hmm. have no real clinical experience. So they don't realize that yeah, that works for averages, but not necessarily for individuals. And I've seen that very thing backfire. And then the final person is a role model, or I'm sorry, this would be a results getter, right? Mm -hmm. So 
role model, researcher, results getter. The results getters are the clinicians. They're the ones working with individuals. And you really want someone who's kind of all three, right? You really want someone who's been a role model and has gotten some results and done some personal experimentation, who also does the research, not maybe a PhD, but guys like you and me who are reading this stuff every day and doing our best to translate it to the public, and a results getter who actually sees clients day in and day out or uh, has seen clients day in and day out. And I don't mean like 10 people. I don't mean 100 people. I mean, like, you know, starting to get into the multiple hundreds and thousands of individuals. That's what it takes for a real expert. So I'll come back to you and see what your take is on that. I totally agree. I don't I don't have a pyramid. I have what I call the healthcare spectrum, where essentially that of, you know, and that's where um, I know you and I, like, we are uh, cognitively, you know, those guys that we like to go down the rabbit hole. But the difference you know, it's kind of like when somebody goes on a spiritual trip and they don't come back, they just get lost in the stars and they're floating away. And it's like, well, that's all great to go explore the cosmos or go down the rabbit hole of science, but we got to bring it back. We have to make it applicable. Um, and that's kind of the difference between, you know, blazing new trails with research versus um, actively trying to, you know, help the masses. So my, my healthcare spectrum Essentially, I think about, uh, okay, if we're trying to improve the health of an organism, aka a human, a person, a client, a patient, all right, well, environmental intervention first. You know, if, if uh, we want a big goldfish, put it in the ocean. If you want a small goldfish, put it in a small bowl. So environmental intervention, then the lifestyle with, yeah, you know, the, the nutrition and exercise and sleep, stress management, hydration, all the non-sexy things that, hey, if you're not practicing that stuff regularly, <laughs> then what are you doing? Yeah. Um, then after lifestyle, yeah, kind of more the uh, supplemental, nutraceutical, botanical type of intervention. And then, of course, finally, drugs and surgery. And yeah, so people get so locked on. And that's where, you know, one of my big things like with with mold illness of, um, you know, I hate I hate sensationalism. So it's not like I try to make it be like, oh, everything's that well, well, no, but I mean, you know, it's a ubiquitous microbe that we all get exposed to and is prevalent in the food supply and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, we, we've got a, you're so right. Like everybody needs that uh, clinician, that coach. Well, and that's another thing too. I'm disturbed at um, kind of the lack of coaching skills in the clinical world, you know, coming from a coaching background, to me, it's just second nature. If yep. you can't help somebody navigate their psychology and their psychoemotional state. Uh, and obviously that's kind of the rookie mistake is you have a, a new professional and it's this dictatorship kind of prescriptive model of here's your workout program and your, your diet plan. And mm -hmm. it's like, uh, again, difference between giving a fish versus teaching a fish, but, you know, meeting them where they're at, if like, Hey, let me worry about the scientific details. Let you worry about practicing unconditional self-love building, uh, habits and behaviors that are in your best interest. Um, and that's where I, I really do like to kind of combine. So that's where I love seeing with you. I see a lot of philosophy with your kind of uh, work as well. You're taking the metabolic science in a very applicable way and combining it with more the psycho-emotional. So I'd love to hear you speak on kind of the necessity for philosophy and, and really like being a student of life, right? Because that's something I feel we both are is, you know, students of life, always humble, and ready, willing, and able to, to learn, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, 
key for me, and you said it, you said it best. One of the things that, you know, when we talk about orthorexia and this idea of being absolutely obsessive about things, and then it, now it's health, and now it's health things. To me, I, I see that, and I say that is a symptom of an underlying dysfunction psychologically. Okay, and that that symptom of this underlying dysfunction, which, by the way, this isn't a judgment. I have severe dysfunctions underlying psychologically. Every single human does. It's the it is who we are as animals. If you don't have some serious dysfunction, if I got to know Brendan really well and he got to know me really well and we got to know all of you really well, we'd be like, damn, these you are messed up. That's sort of what it means to be human. We all have suffering. We all have our sort of dysfunctions. However, when I see it manifesting in uh, food and I see it manifesting in obsessiveness around functional medicine and I see you know, someone read a single book on grains or watch a single documentary on you know, uh, veganism or whatever and then go to extremes, I see that as something that's deep underlying within themselves that they are trying to grasp hold of. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I recognize this in myself. It's not a judgment. So for me, I very early on, when I went through my very first breakup at 18 years old, right? Your first adolescent shakeup, the first chance you have to get shaken out of adolescence, right? I started getting into self-help and self-development. And mm -hmm. I'll, I'll say something sort of very embarrassing here, but it took another 20 years for me actually to finally, I think, and, and I don't yet know, maybe Brennan and I will be having this conversation in five years from now and be like, you didn't really escape adolescence, did you? You thought you did. <laughs> but now I'm at that point where I think at 40, I'm 46 now. So at 40, I think I finally broke through adolescence and had this, what I call a midlife uh, sort of awakening. Some people call it a midlife crisis. I call it a, a midlife awakening. But what it was, and it speaks to what you're doing, is it basically came down to personal failings of mine, being um, uh, just looking at who I was being in the world and seeing that a lot of what I was doing was based on uh, soothing, you know, uh, inside feelings of uh, wanting to have status and be like the tough guy or not feeling, you know, for me, some people be like, it's, it's a feeling of unworthiness. That wasn't what it was for me. For me, it was more of a feeling of wanting status and wanting power and wanting control and these kinds of things. Other people say, oh, I was more on the insecure side. I think for me, I was more on the arrogant side, which they're both, mm -hmm. they're both, uh, you know, uh, different sides of the same coin, you know, mm -hmm. arrogance, you know, sort of insecurity. And men tend to fall prey to the arrogant side of that equation. And women tend to, in a gross generalization, tend to fall yep. prey to the insecure side of that. And so for me at that point, I started saying to myself, isn't it interesting as I cleaned up, started cleaning up all these things? And I won't go into big details, but what I did is I had been studying this stuff for a long time. I had all the tools. I had not necessarily been applying them. I think most hum a lot of humans know what that's like. And finally, I sat down and had all these courses that I've been through, Landmark Forum, Gratitude Training, like all, all the books, you know, thousands of self-help, maybe not thousands, but hundreds of self-help books, you know the power of now and, you know, uh, all of these things, right, that I read throughout time, you know, the peaceful warrior, you know, um, the Celestine prophecy, and you mm. name it, those were the first several books I read. And all of a sudden, I said, you know, I am 
going to now stop focusing on being powerful and being status and looking good and all this kind of stuff, right? And, you know, having a six pack abs and all this kind of stuff. I'm going to focus on being the best human I can be. But what is that? Yeah. What does that human look like? And I came up with a concept called that I call the honor code that I've written about in several of my books now. And I essentially said, this is the human being that I want to be. Now, I know that I will fall far short of this human being often, but it gave me an anchor mm -hmm. to sort of, um, sort of latch onto so that when I started doing all this stuff, like worrying about, you know, the latest, greatest thing over here or trying to, you know, find, you know, manifest a sexual romantic relationship because I'm feeling lonely or whatever. I came back to this thing again and again and again, and it anchored me. And some of the things that I came back to were honesty because mm -hmm. I had a major failing in that arena, generosity, kindness, and a, um, a, and this goes back to the honesty piece, but a very strong uh, sort of, uh, sort of uh, anchor towards truth, mm -hmm. right? So that for me, everything I do now is really about that. If I'm going to talk about intermittent fasting to you, for example, I'm not going to, I'll tell you what the science says. And then I'm going to say, this may or may not work for you. My program may or may not work for you. You may or may want to do this. And it changed everything for me. And so for me, that philosophy and that sort of interwork went over into my own uh, sort of personal health journey. And then it translated over further into my work with individuals. Now, of course, when I was doing Metabolic Effect and that company, I had had some of this stuff, but I hadn't integrated it fully into my my being. And now I'm probably like, let's be honest, we're all human, right? So maybe I'm 75, 80% of the way there. Maybe I'm 75%, 80% next level Jade. And the rest of me is still base level, uh, culture level Jade. And I'm probably <laughs> being very generous with myself here. But, yeah. but that's kind of what I think we need to do. And I think people need to kind of begin to look at this. So I'll say one more thing before I get your take. Here's how to do this. To me is to look in your life and go, what am I psychologically grasping towards? What is it that I'm trying to control? What is it that I'm afraid of? What is it that I'm trying to do with uh, searching out romantic relationships or stressing about food all the time? What does it really matter? Mm -hmm if I have six pack or not, or I'm lean or not, if I am a devoid human without kindness and without uh, any, any sort of thing that I'm doing to make a difference, right? Mm -hmm. Same with money now. I go, yeah, yeah I, make, I make very good money, you know, and I teach, I teach people how to do this, but I go, I want a huge generosity bank account, not a huge monetary bank account. I really want both, but to me, I prioritize one over the other. So, you know, I know uh, you just sent me a, the shirt, right? Hashtag holistic savage. Well, I have these hashtags I have going in my mind to remind me this one is hashtag meaning over money. Mm -hmm. Another one is hashtag purpose over power. Mm -hmm. Right. And this brings me back to my center point. And so to me, if you start seeing yourself obsessing about anything, money and savings, health and fitness, being lean or not, being a hypochondriac, being, um, you know, relationships, 
there's something that you need to begin to anchor within yourself. And that's mm -hmm. why I talk so much about philosophy and psychology. It's huge. Mm -hmm. And if you're not doing that work, I go like this. If you're not doing personal development work, that is the psychological equivalent of physical exercise. And yeah. so you look great and you have this great body maybe, but you are devoid, you're, you're essentially a preteen mm -hmm. psychologically. Yeah. You are, you're stuck in adolescence. And I would say most people never escape adolescence. And I don't want to be an adolescent anymore. Yeah. Unless it's Peter Pan style, but I couldn't agree more with all of that. Uh, one, uh, recently I wrote a two part post on Instagram about soul over physique, right? You know, I think, uh, you know, the big turning point for me, because, you know, back in the day, it's like, I grew up doing, uh, martial arts and wrestling and, and MMA. And then I joined the Navy after high school for the SEAL program. And, you know, back then it was, uh, it was all a, you know, sense of inadequacy and kind of self-loathing and I have to punish myself. I have to be the, you know, toughest guy out there and be able to suffer more than the next guy. And, you know, that's kind of the world I came from, but I very much had this kind of martial arts, um, mindset of, you know, honor, integrity, discipline, and, you know, the code of the samurai with Bushido. And I'm like, you know, where the hell are, are these, these morals in, in modern America, you know, we're just chasing instant gratification, uh, hedonically rather than eudaimonically pursuing self-actualization. And so, you know, kind of the big paradigm shift of, um, you know, cool, you want to lose hundred pounds. Great. Why, you know, or you want to do this or that. And, you know, getting to that, that root, why, like, why do you want this thing? And so that's always fun exercise to just keep digging in somebody's soul until they start crying. And it's like, all right, let's, let's get to work there then. Um, but you know, the difference between, yeah, what kind of, what kind of human do you want to be? What kind of impact do you want to have on this world with one life you have? And that's where I, I love kind of combining ph philosophy and spirituality with kind of the tangible science. And so that's where like neuroplasticity, I think is just so cool. And, mm -hmm um you know like a brain derived neurotrophic factor and we're, we're starting to understand a little bit more and you know basically the the theory the nutshell kind of coming down to like oh well you know sculpting our gray matter in our brain is not really like that much different than sculpting our biceps right and of course you know our superficial obsessed society and it's always it always comes back to uh, you know, people want to look outwards, look externally, point the finger externally, a lot of victim mentality in our society, uh, rather than facing themselves and, you know, looking within. And it's like everything you could possibly need to live the life of your dreams and have the, the impact you want, everything is already within you. But, you know, to do that introspective work, and that's where we finished out uh, season one of the podcast with um, Dr. Nicole LaPera, the holistic psychologist. And, you know, she's, she's just crushing it with her, um, with her work. And it's all around, you know, ego works. You mentioned uh, as a uh, um, kind of generalization of, yeah, generally women, it's more of a insecurity thing. Men, it can be more of a arrogance thing. Um, and it all comes down to kind of, controlling the ego. And so something I'm working on a book myself right now, and something I'm writing a lot about is, is the role of the ego, because I always like to look at, you know, humans, but look at evolution, where we came from the natural world, try to make sense of it. Um, you know, it's like we have more bacteria in, a, in us and on us than we have human cells. And we're starting to learn like, oh, these bacteria really 
have a huge impact on regulating a lot of functions of our body. And I start kind of thinking about like, what is ego? And, you know, other people might have other perspectives, but I kind of look at it as like, it's this uh, desire for more, you know, it's, it's the mechanism that, that drives continuity. If an organism didn't have any intrinsic inherent desire to continue, it would not continue and it, it wouldn't survive. It wouldn't evolve. So to me, this kind of idea of, of the ego driving us to seek externally, to seek external resources, to ultimately ensure continuity. And I think a big part of where uh, our society is just getting screwed is every facet of our societal model preys on the ego. You know, that magazine cover of this is what you should look like, or, you know, that Snickers bar right at uh, eye level or whatever, or even just you know, high fat, high sugar to play to our stimulating senses of, ooh, we, we want that, we crave that. Yeah. And so I just feel like a lot of people, uh, their ego is just being seduced in uh, every single day. And, uh, you know, they're kind of drunk on, um, you know, ego seduction and high on instant gratification. And yeah. so I kind of like to sort of slap people awake a little bit of like, hey, Let's get control of that monkey mind. Let's get control of that ego. Let's tap into that higher consciousness, right? You know, this idea of like, we are not our thoughts or emotions, but the awareness behind it, which we could get really fruity and, and colorful with language there. But ultimately it's just, well, don't be slave to your own primordial biology. Like yeah. choose to snap out of that, choose to rise above it. And determine, you know, what kind of life do you want to lead? What do you want to be known for? Do you want to be known as the the person taking the, the contorted twist the spine so you can see my butt gym selfie? Or, you know, the, the Brene Brown that positively impacted millions of people. So, yeah. yeah, you know, what's funny about that, too, is that when I do this work, I mean, I, I, I love the whole thing about the ego. And, and here's but here's one thing I hate about the self-help, self-development world is they tend to do the same thing. Right. So they tend to go like, um, for example, they tend to go uh, stay in the now, ne- never go in the future, never go in the past. And I, and I, I go, what? Uh, no, like literally you need all three. There is no now without the past. There is no now without the future. Like you just need to know how to access all three. Sometimes being in the past is incredibly important because it protects you from making the same mistake in the future. Sometimes staying in the future is incredibly important so you can enhance yourself. And if you're guys like me, you can enhance the world. It's just that sometimes too, you need to be able to access the now so you can relax, regenerate, recover. And from that place, be able to synthesize what's what you know what happened in your past and sort of manifest what you want to do in the future to me it's the same with the ego we go ego is all bad or ego is you know and I say no ego is again one of these things that we're constantly looking for the sort of Goldilocks point this is the whole point of the Tao philosophy right the way the middle way like that's what you were ultimately trying to do and here is one thing that I'll challenge everyone listening on to me life has a beautiful thing that will smack the shit out of your ego constantly and we avoid it and what it is is suffering life has an ego check to make you uh understand that and to me now 
I think you know this about me, Brendan, but I just want to preface this to everyone's listening. I don't have any religious beliefs. I'm, an, I'm a true agnostic. Like some people go, well, there's, no, there's not really such thing as an agnostic. You're either atheist or you're religious. No, I am agnostic, which means I don't know. Okay, now I have my guesses. I don't really think that there's any sort of magic man up in the sky or anything. And I hope that doesn't offend anyone listening. I could be completely wrong. There might be. And if I get to the end of my life and there's a magic man up in the sky, I'll be like, oh, I was wrong. It's as simple as that for me. But here's the interesting thing about this whole discussion. To me, it seems as if something is going on when you're living your life and the perfect thing comes and smacks you in just the right way to help you grow past your ignorance and arrogance at the right time. And if you Mm -hmm. do not heed that, you will get the same thing again to help you get over that ignorance and arrogance. And instead of what we humans do, we avoid it. Mm -hmm. We do not want to touch it. We don't know how to deal with it. So I have this funny thing that people have grown to love, but I'll just do it right now and because I think it illustrates what I'm talking about. Here's what we do. It, it is the equivalent of if I'm cutting an onion and I cut my finger, and what am I going to do when I cut my finger? I'm immediately going to cover my finger, right, and I'm going to hold it for a minute and be like, ah, like I'm going to feel that sting. And then I'm going to tentatively look at it and see how deep did this wound go? Am I going to need to go get stitches? How, you know, how should I clean it? Um, what, how should I bandage it? Right. And then after that, I'm going to be more careful with my knife next time. I'm going to have knife boundaries, so to speak. Right. Uh, And I'm going to become skillful with my knife. But instead, when we get a psychological wound, it's like this, it's like cutting our finger. And then I see Brendan walking down the street. I shove my finger in his face and I go, ow, 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 ow. And like Brendan's supposed to be the one to heal this finger. Or another reaction people have to psychological suffering is they'll cut their finger and they'll just stare at it and start whimpering while it bleeds all over the place. And they'll just be like, you know, crying, looking at their thumb. And then the third way they do it is they stick the thumb behind their back, ignore it, act like it never happened. And in fact, never use that hand ever again, simply because it was wounded. Now, what I'm saying here is that each of us, if you really want to get deep on this, and I, I didn't know we were going to go here, but I'm kind of glad we did. If you all yeah. really want to get deep on this, each of us humans have had moments in time, three to five typically as we were growing up, where we had these psychological cuts happen, where we psychologically cut our fingers. And most of us reacted to those things in one of those three dysfunctional ways I just described. And some of us are still going around going, ow, 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 right? Some of us are still doing that. Into their 80s, they're doing that. We all know people like this. And so to me, if you really want to get to the bottom of this, and believe me, this has everything to do with your health and fitness. In fact, more so, you have to go back to those stories, Mm -hmm. own what happened, realize that I was cutting my finger or maybe someone else came up, my finger was just laying down on the table and someone else came up and cut my finger. But in the end, it's my cut to deal with. It's no one else's cut to deal with. No one else is gonna patch it for me. No one else is gonna heal it for me. No one else is gonna look and say, you know, maybe someone will, but even then at some point, you still have to live with that finger. Mm -hmm. And you're gonna have to go back to those stories 
own what happened to you, find a way to, to talk about it and think about it and use it to move you forward. Yes. That's why I say suffering will smack the hell out of the ego because that is ultimately what, to me, the power of the ego is growth, mm -hmm. growing yourself and growing the world. But an ego unchecked is like you know a weed that grows all over the garden and sucks the life out of everything. Mm -hmm. But an ego in balance, right? An ego in balance that is arrogant enough to know that it can accomplish amazing things, but insecure and humble enough to know that it's not that damn special. Yeah. That's where we want to get as humans. And when we start doing that, we start going, you know what? Yeah, I would like a better six pack. Yeah, I'd like to be a little bit healthier. Yeah, I would like to do this. But do I really want to sacrifice these other areas of my life? Because I only have so many energetic resources. And you start to get far more balanced in this. And so mm -hmm. to me, this is the discussion of the ego. It is a wonderful thing, so long as it's not choking you and the world around you. Yes. And the way that you help integrate it is you go back to all your suffering and realize that those things can be used. They can be used to grow yourself, to evolve yourself, and to grow the world. Trust me, you mentioned uh, Brene Brown. I am sure that her suffering Mm -hmm. along with her superpowers and her passions and her unique perceptions are the entire thing that allowed her to create this amazing sort of uh, framework that all of us are just eating up and, mm -hmm. and the way she grows us. Same with you, same with me. So I would say to everyone who's on this journey, I would say you need to understand that your purpose is a combination of your powers, what you're good at, your talents and your gifts, your passions, what you're interested in, but it's also your pain, your suffering is huge here. And the people who you have been exposed to, right? Mm -hmm. Good and bad. The people who were horrible to you and the people who were good to you. And of course, your perceptions, the way that you've internalized all this. If this is all, uh, you know, sort of building blocks for purpose, yeah. And we ignore all of it. Instead, just go, I'm not going to look at my pain. I'm not powerful enough. I, I just want to hear what Brendan and Jade say. I'm not going to try to think this out for myself. And this, to me, is why oftentimes we feel devoid. And hopefully you can see the connection between why so many people are running around with orthorexia around health and fitness and not seeing any results and over-exercising or under-eating and stressed out about every single toxin in the world. And they can't even function. So to me, this is hugely important. Absolutely. I'm really glad we're going here because I, I've been thinking a lot about this stuff for a minute or two. And uh, I totally agree. I think uh, the ego thing, which is definitely becoming a thing, you know, ego work is becoming this big thing with millennials, which I think is great. But just like everything, I think it swings a little bit too far. And I do see that where kind of ego gets demonized. And anytime you show any any ego, which guess what? We're all human. We all have an ego. It's, mm -hmm. it's there to protect us. It's there to help us continue. You know, ego, it's like if, you, uh, if you're a paleolithic hunter-gatherer and you've been into the dark forest where uh, many hunter-gatherers have not returned from, uh, you know, and you've been in that dark forest, you've wrestled a tiger, you have the scars, you know, to prove it. Okay, well, the next time that you're going into, you know, you're near a dark forest, the ego is that thing that's like, hey, 
be smart, be careful. Like it could be dangerous. It could threaten your well-being. Uh, you know, so the ego, I, I do believe, is ultimately there to serve us and to serve our growth. And that's where, um, you know, certainly, again, like ego gets so demonized. Uh, and it's almost like you are not allowed to have ambition anymore. There's, there's such this movement of be 100% uh, content with, with what you have regardless. And, you know, if you're unhappy, like it's because you, you have a messed up ego and you have a bad perception and, mm -hmm. and whatever. And it's like, okay, how would we ever accomplish anything noteworthy, including helping millions mm -hmm. without a certain amount of uh, egotistical ambition? Right. Yep. And you mentioned purpose, which, uh, you know, having a sense of purpose is a very necessary, uh, you know, kind of ingredient constituent of being healthy biologically. Like we need a sense of purpose. And this is where, you know, I'm very fascinated by microbiology. And the more I study microbiology, the more I think humans are really just big microbes. Mm -hmm. Because we all work together to, you know, it's it's the the well-being of the collective is more important than than the well-being of the individual per se. Uh, but you know, that's where like Jordan Peterson goes deep into like lobster biochemistry in his mm -hmm. first chapter of uh, Twelve Rules of Life, and that just blew my mind. But yeah, you know, I don't think we should demonize ego. But to your point you know, it's all about having balance, you know, we practice humility, but we also allow ourselves to uh, envision what could be we have the ambition to uh, create better rather than just accepting for how it is. If we're not, you know, egotistically wanting to make things better, how, you know, how do we leave the world a better place than when we came into it? If we don't, uh, you know, utilize the ego in a, in a, you know, righteous way, if you will. And, you know, we're certainly wired um, biologically, primarily, you know, we've got uh, hedonic and, and eudaimonic, either are you living your life in a way of, you know, run from pain, run towards pleasure, or are you really living uh, in a more eudaimonic manner of trying to achieve that self-actualization, see what you're capable of. So, yeah, I think this is extreme, an extremely fundamental and important concept because otherwise people are just chasing these things, chasing the six pack, chasing the diet, chasing the, the money, and they don't even know why they're doing it. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, um, I, these kind of discussions, I hope that, that people are sort of um, getting this, but I, I, it, it struck me when I think of Nelson Mandela, who's a hero of mine, and I think of Martin Luther King, who's another hero of mine, and I think of Bruce Lee, and I think of Muhammad Ali, and I think of every person we've ever, ever celebrated. These are people who had very strong egos, oftentimes. Mm -hmm. um, and the same token, uh, we have people like Hitler, um, and the people, uh, by the way, when you talk about just acceptance, if, if like you have no ego and you're just kind of like whatever, and you have someone like a Hitler who has this ego and, and, and you're just being like, you know, whatever, you know, this, this is kind of what we're, we're about. So to me, it's not, we have to put this in perspective. It's not fighting against ego per se. It's about balancing out the sort of arrogance, the, the aspects of ego. The mm -hmm. arrogance and the ignorance, the insecurity 
and the humbleness versus sort of the arrogance and ambition. And to me, that's what I think people do. They'll demonize one or the other depending on where they come from, right? And so, you know, sometimes you'll see, and this is why I hate, like, we've all done this. I can honestly say I probably have not done this in at least six or seven years. And I'm just like, wow, that's really interesting. But how many of you who are listening will be sc scrolling through social media, see somebody teaching and get annoyed and get like, who the hell do they think they are? I call it the who the hell do they think they are effect. They think they're a blah, blah, blah. Especially if you see a friend who's now decided that they want to you know, move forward and do something better and touch people a little bit and speak to their power and their pain and their perceptions and their all of these things that we talked about with purpose. And then you're sitting there going, oh, who do they think they are? I don't do that anymore. I simply go, I go two things. I go, good for you. And I send them like a bit of love. I'm just like, good for you. This is what it's about. Do it. And then I go, I hope that as you're doing this, that it's not a status thing, that you really do want to get better and learn and become an expert and aren't just doing this to be seen. But right. then I just go, but good for you. Like, be out there and do it. And then I just go also, it's like my friend recently said, you know, I, you know, that he knows I do a lot of um, uh, relationship work too. I do a lot of life coaching. I do a lot in the functional medicine space, health and fitness. I teach basically now the four jobs, right? Which are personal relationships, health and fitness, finance and purpose and meaning. Well, anyway, mm -hmm. he goes, he's devastated because he's breaking up with this girl that was with him that was he loved right and we all know what that's like and um he's a young guy you know much younger than me in his 20s now right and so he's like can you help me and I remember saying to him I'm like dude I am uh so sorry for you and I am so so excited for you and he's like what and I said this is going to be your first major sort of smack to correct your ego is going to be one of the best things that has ever happened to you. If you don't do the, I cut my fingers, start shoving in other people's face going, ow, 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 ow. Or if you don't stick it behind your back and forget about it, or yeah. if you don't sit there and look at it and bleed, this is going to be the most life-changing experience you have ever had. And he just, you know, was like, I don't, I don't, I don't get it, man. This is miserable. And I'm like, that's why, because it's miserable and you're going to have to figure it out and you're going to have to go through this process. You will learn things about yourself that you never could otherwise. And that's why people like Bruce Lee and Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela, if you look and you understand their suffering mm -hmm. and what they stood for, you'll see some of their accomplishments. My only thing that I'd say, the, the other thing I'd say is that here's what we do. I mentioned those names and you all are listening to me and being like, yeah, I know these people. What you don't understand is that you, and this goes back to what Brendan was saying about, you know, what I would call team human. What you don't understand is that when you interact with anybody, when you let someone merge into traffic and don't assume that they're trying to cut you off, when you, uh, you know, interact and just smile at someone in line who's being, you know, rude, when you can take upon yourself to be like, I'm going to be the next level mirror in the room mm -hmm. for people to see. Mm -hmm. What you do is you impact team human in a way that you'll never know. And to me, that's good enough. Like that's actually good enough. It's, you know, to me, I go, yes, take care of your family and your kids. But second, 
be this human in the world. I have this thing now where I go, Jade, be a virtuous human when no one is watching. And I'll tell you a funny story. It's kind of embarrassing, but I think you'll appreciate this. I'm here for but it. But my apartment in, um, in Asheville, I'm in LA now. I have another place in Asheville or did. And um, I'm sitting there and I just moved into the apartment. And every day there's a beautiful woman across the way who walks around in her, her apartment naked. Okay. So I'm looking right across the way and I'm just like, okay, now, so everyone's probably laughing now. I'm a dude. I'm a single dude. I'm like, there's a beautiful, this girl's gorgeous. And then I just go, Jade, what do you think she would think if there's some dude who sees what she's doing and is, you know, watching her? Is that a virtuous thing to do? Now, of course, it's in my, you know, like I, this, what am I going to do? But I close my blinds. And I just, and I was thinking to myself, that's not something that a younger Jade Tita would have done, right? I would have been, you know, being like, damn, this chick is hot, calling my friends, being like, bring the popcorn over or whatever, right? And looking <laughs> across the room at this beautiful, you know, naked 20-some-year-old. Now I just go, um, yeah, I'm not going to do that because I wouldn't, she would not want me to do that. It's not a virtuous thing to do. And I'm also not in that hedonistic place that you talk about mm -hmm. where I'm like, I need that. I, I would rather be a good human with no one watching. I would rather, you know, take out the trash, small things. Like I just moved into a new building and they put my boxes when we get mail, they're way down at the other thing. And someone in my building, I have not even met, brings these things to my front door. And I wonder if they do it for everybody because, you know, it's kind of spread out. So I think maybe my, my unit's on the way. And I'm just like, this is the kind of human that I want to be and the kind of humans that we want in the world. And the final thing I'll say here is when you start behaving like that, all of a sudden it starts to translate into virtuous behaviors other places. What I mean by that, but virtuous behaviors like literally eating better your other four jobs start to get better as you become more purpose driven and anchored in the the type of person who's going to take care of team human if you if i can teach one thing about pain and i know you'll agree with me here brendan if i could teach one thing about personal pain the best way as a human to heal your pain and i would almost say the only way to completely heal your suffering and pain as a human is to find and heal that suffering and pain in another. Mm -hmm. That's really the only way to completely do it. That you mm -hmm. first go, I cut my finger. Oh my God, let me patch it myself. Let me learn to be discerning with a knife, right? That's like, that's going from child to adolescence. And then the final step into majority and adulthood is go, you know what? Let me help other people be better with knives. Let me teach them how to mm -hmm. not cut themselves or to heal themselves. And that's what you and I do. It's probably the reason that we're here talking. Exactly. Yeah, I love this. And, and I think you just broke it down very well, kind of step by step where, you know, like you said, people uh, react interestingly to their suffering and, and suffering is part of life. I, I was just writing about suffering the other day on the gram and you know, talking about how obviously the body really operates on this principle of specific adaptation to impose demand. And it's like, we, we all experience suffering, life happens, bad stuff happens, uh, painful things happen. And, and that results in trauma and that trauma, uh, very much, uh, kind of literally and, you know, psycho emotionally rhetorically, 
shapes our belief system, shapes our physiology and our neuroplasticity. You know, that trauma, that suffering that results in trauma, it's a stimuli. And, and ultimately, it's, it's up to us on, on how we grow from it. It's, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like if a, a tree is growing and then, you know, a fence gets kind of put right on top of it. And it's like, well, it can either, you know, wither and die or it can adapt. And, oh, well, I was supposed to be a straight tree, but now I'm going to be a curvy tree and grow around this fence. And so um, I love where, what you're saying, where it's like, I think we really need to embrace the suffering, embrace the trauma, you know, uh, what can I learn from it? And, you know, what, what, what is that future self that I'm trying to be? What, what do I want for myself in my life? Uh, and what can I, what's the lesson to be extrapolated from this trauma, from this suffering that then I can use on my higher path, but then I can take that to the next level and serve others. And so, you know, it's kind of like with, um, again, like mold toxicity, which a lot of people know me for, it's, it's, it's not like I would have ever imagined when I was a 19 year old personal trainer, I was, that was going to be, a, oh yeah, I know a lot about mold. Cool. But no, you know, I was uh, previously engaged to uh, an older woman with children and we were living in a moldy house, didn't know it. I had no idea back then, but it destroyed her and it destroyed yeah. us, yeah. Uh, you know, and I've written articles about because it's like, wow, yeah, if there's, you know, if I can share the knowledge that I learned in overcoming what was the most traumatic experience of my whole life. Um, and if I can share some of what I learned through my journey to become a more complete human and not let that destroy me and become whole again, uh, you know, it, to me, it's, it's, it's not just my right, it's, it's my duty to then pass along that knowledge to hopefully help others, you know, just like you said, I mean, I don't want anybody else to cut their finger with the knife. And, yeah. and so that's exactly what you're saying with, you know, Martin Luther King or Gandhi or any of these people, it was they embraced that suffering, learning from it. And as you said before, uh, you know, the, the same lesson is going to keep showing up in your life until you're ready to learn it. Or, you know, it's that uh, something about the student until the right teacher shows up or whatever. But ultimately, yeah, the same patterns, the same struggles, the same suffering is going to keep presenting itself over and over until, you know, you learn that lesson and transcend that lesson. And then you can utilize those skills that you learned. And so I love what you're saying about being a virtuous human, because ultimately, you know, everything about our experience of life and reality, it come, it really comes from within and our perception and, and our chosen, you know, beliefs. And so that's where, uh, ultimately it's, it's, and I'm a big believer in kind of just energetic flow of like, if you want to receive love, you got to give love. Yeah. Right. And so I think that really kind of comes back to being a virtuous human of, you know, live by the morals that make you feel at peace with yourself at the yeah. end of the day. Uh, so here, here's another thing to drive this home. Jesus, when you were talking, it, rem it reminded me of a, a good friend of mine and it goes to the same thing. So I love this whole idea of like this mold thing, made a huge impact on you. You suffered greatly as a result. Someone you love suffered as a result. And you, as a result of that pain, are now healing that pain in others. And here's, here's, how, here, here's another pain story. I have a friend who she deeply wants children, okay? She's 38, you know, running into, you know, sort of this time where her, her time is running out. 
and she deeply wants this. Now, here's what we humans do. Now, this may not be in the cards for her, but she wants to be a mother so uh, much. Now, I essentially approach this and I say, do you understand that being a mother, that purpose has many different manifestations and your ability to see your perception, your ability to see the manifestations of that are going to determine how happy you are, how fulfilled you feel in your life. One way to do this is to be like, I never have kids and walk around the whole, your whole life staring at your thumb going, ah, ah, ah. another way is to say, I never had kids of my own. So I adopted. Or another way is I never had children of my own. So my nieces and nephews became sort of where I put that energy. Another way is that I became the matriarch in the family. Another way is I started volunteering for kids to be the mom. The other way is I started to be a motherly figure for, you know, animals. There are many manifestations of being mom. Mm -hmm. And the ability for us humans to think laterally about our purpose. She is a mother. That's her purpose. I have no doubt about that. I can watch her. I can see her. I can see the way she lives it day to day, right? However, culture has told her that there's only one way to be a mom and that's to have your own children. And what she needs to understand, what we all need to understand is that this is not how you get fulfilled in life. If you're not happy, it's because either one, your circumstances are, are not, and then it's your reasons around it, right? The way you're thinking about it. So if you can't change your circumstances, the only thing you could change is the way you perceive your circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so this is why personal development is so huge. Can you see how Brendan's story about the mold and him going, I am going to take that and use that and teach people and her with her being the mother, I'm going to use that and sort of grow people and me with my shortcomings and pain and you with your suffering and hurt. These things are our power they, mm -hmm. if we integrate them correctly. And one thing I'll say about the health and fitness thing so you can understand this, me, part of my power, part of Brendan's power is we teach this stuff now. Now, I have struggled with my weight. I have hypothyroid, I have Hashimoto's. I, I you know, people see me, I, I'm a big muscular dude, but I'm like, I'm one of these guys who can get muscle fat really quickly. Here's what keeps me going. Not that I see somebody who I'm like, hey, check me out. I'm attractive. I'm lean. I, you know, I got a fit body. What keeps me going is I go, I'm a more effective teacher and a more credible teacher for my purpose if I can look the part at 46 and if I can look the part at 56. And so I have the, this becomes more of my goal. I am more motivated now to stay fit and healthy as a result of my deep anchoring purpose and why versus how you think I look. I'm getting old. I'm, I'm in the ugliest. I've, this is another fun thing, funny thing. I'm the ugliest I've ever been. I've never been a very attractive guy from that perspective, but I'm the ugliest I've ever been, but I'm the more purpose-driven I've ever been. And I, I seem to be more attractive to people than I've ever been. And it's just so odd. And so if you want to tie this all back into health and fitness, this is the transition out of a 
a child, a, a base level sort of child mindset around health and fitness versus an adolescent status driven mindset around health and fitness versus a next level purpose driven mindset around health and fitness. This is essentially, you know, what we're talking about, this evolution. And mm-hmm. I can look at you and I bet you Brendan can look at you and you all can look at me and I can see where you are on this journey by how you relate to health and fitness, by how orthorexic you are, by how crazy you are, by how worried you are. And I can also look and see where you are by sort of, you, you've seen the people in the gym that just live it, eat it, breathe it. They're happy. They're not necessarily needing to show it off. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, by the way. I'm all for people uh, expressing themselves, whatever types of body they have. I love that. I love when a human feels powerful enough to do that. I love it more, though, when it's not about status, but it's just coming from a deep sense of purpose and Mm self-love. That's sometimes hard to tease out, but I guarantee you we can see where you are on this evolutionary journey by how you relate to health and fitness. You're a child. If it's about, I'm going to lift more than you, run faster than you, I'm going to do this and that. You're sort of an adolescent. Two, if you're in that space where it's like, I want to look better, I want to look good, I don't want to age, I want to stop all that, I'm never going to age, I want to live forever. Like, that's sort of like, I want to be, you know, control everything, right? And I know, I know what's best versus then the next level sort of adult and mature, where it's like, I choose this because I choose this. Mm-hmm. I love this because I love this. I teach this because it's my purpose. Love that. Love that. Such a good way that we'll, we'll start wrapping up because, you know, you mentioned it earlier with, uh, you know, kind of the, the mirror analogy. And that's something I'm, I'm really big on is, is this idea of we're all kind of just mirrors walking around. And, you know, we, we experience ourselves, you know, through the other person. We experience ourselves through the mirror of, one another. And so that's where, you know, it's like you're trying to talk to somebody that maybe is a very contrast to you, like very, very opposite, but ultimately it's, it's reflective and it becomes very glaringly and sometimes abrasively clear of, you know, what you stand for, what you don't. I was just recently talking to somebody who, you know, one of the, the morals that I like to live by is, you know, one of the four agreements. I love that book. Uh, you know, yeah, be impeccable with your word. Oh, it's uh, the Toltec wisdom books. Fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, but you know, be impeccable with your word. Like it, the, the, your word is how you shape your reality and communicate with the world around you. So be impeccable with it, you know, be, be good with it. Uh, and so talking to somebody that was just very, um, kind of aggressive and kind of, yeah, just like, ah, I just can't, I can't deal with that. That doesn't resonate with me. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, we really have to be observant and, and experience other humans to, to learn those lessons, to learn, you know, what do we stand for? But I love the way that you just broke that down with the maturity thing. I'll tell you, you know, I'm a 27 year old dude. And uh, I tell you what, you know, it, a lot of, a lot of people my age are, maybe not, you know, still in that adolescent phase. And it's just mm-hmm. kind of like, okay, but you know, that's again, where it comes back to unconditional love, though, I really think love is the highest frequency, it's the most healing emotion. Uh, and so then I really am a big advocate of, you know, practicing. And hey, it's not always easy to practice, but practicing unconditional love for self and others, you know, and uh, loving people where they're at. And, and I think all too often, it's kind of this, we, again, a little bit of ego out of control where we like to, well, this is where you're doing wrong. And it's more like, just 
you know, be that mirror. You don't have to be the mirror that points out. Like, do you see, do you see this, this blemish in your own reflection? Let me point it out to you. It's like, no, that's, it's not the job. Job is just be the reflection, you know? And by the way, that's a very adolescent thing, right? What, what's a, what's a hallmark of adolescence? A hallmark is I can see all your dysfunction and I'm completely blind to mine. Yeah. That's what that's, it's the hallmark of being a teenager. So when you see people doing that, whether they're 80 or 50, that's a culture level adolescent human, right? Yeah, totally. Well, and the other day I was thinking about how, uh, you know, sometimes I, I love, I love going down these kind of psycho-emotional philosophical, sometimes at times rabbit holes, but sometimes, you know, it's almost like we just kind of, if it goes too far, it can just kind of dissect and mutilate the human phenomena. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was thinking about the other day, uh, and I, I see this happening more and more with millennials and people that are into this kind of stuff, where it almost becomes like a, a, an egotistical contest of like, who can dissect and mutilate the other person psychologically more. And so I was thinking about, I'm like, all right, I don't define love as the ability to psychologically dissect and mutilate the other person, but choosing not to like, that's not love. I'm not sure what that is, but you know, that's not love, right? The degree to which it's funny, if you want to, if, you know, because we talk, self-love is a really interesting thing. A lot of people talk about, it. well, how can you see self-love inside a person, right? You can see it by the way they relate to the world around them. So mm -hmm. for me, for example, if, if I say I don't trust people, right, that's because I lie, right? Yeah. That's because I, I lie, so I think everyone else must lie. Mm -hmm. The degree to which I don't lie anymore is the degree to which I start trusting people. That's how I knew that I started having self-love for myself, that I really was like, I didn't see that anymore. The degree to which I am judging other people is the degree to which I think they're judging me. That tells me about my self-love. And so if you have these turmoils in there where you're like, they're like this, or they are judging me, or they're a liar, or I don't trust anybody, or women are all like this, and men are all like this. This to me, when I'm sitting there listening to someone, I go, they don't have this thing figured out. They're still in that sort of adolescent space. The degree to which you live this, the degree to, to which you are impeccable with your word is to me, the degree to which you think other people are impeccable with their word and give them the benefit of the doubt for being impeccable with their word. There's two types of people, right? If you're not impeccable with your word and then Brendan says to me, hey, like if I'm not impeccable with my word and Brendan says, let's do this and that, and I'm going to be like, he's lying. He's not serious. Like, I'll just ignore that. But if I am impeccable with my word, I'm going to trust him to step up. Now, here's where the second, that's the first part of self-love. The second part of self-love is this. When I run into someone who's arrogant or I run into someone who's aggressive and I see this mirror that Brendan is talking about, I, too, self-love is a big piece. And this is where, to me, the guru space just goes completely off the rails here. Self-love is about stepping up and saying, you shall not pass, basically. I have mm -hmm. strong boundaries. You're mm -hmm. not going to come in here and do that. Right. And you'll see this, right? You'll see if someone is, you'll see someone who calls out racism. What it means is this is a clear boundary for me. I have self-love. You don't get to encroach. I'm going to take up this space. You don't get to jump in. Right. But that's a very nuanced thing, right? Because then if someone is so overly aggressive, right, then, you know, obviously that's a, that's a frightened lion, basically. That's a mm -hmm. frightened animal. And so to me, it's like, 
you want to see self-love, you lead with honesty, you lead with kindness, you lead with generosity, you see these types of people. And then when they confront aggressiveness or they confront mm -hmm. bad communication, or they confront these things, I just go, not my person, not my deal. And I usually let them know. I usually say, you know, like, uh, recently with a you know i'm single so I'm, I'm dating and recently with a romantic you know sort of interest i was just like listen very kindly i was like we have a very different way of of communicating like i really need a a, a different level of communication i don't play these games i don't like you know do this thing where we're texting back and forth and and you're upset because i didn't text you fast enough or whatever it's just like just tell me what you're thinking if you're not able to do that it's cool it's great i just won't so that's a boundary for mm -hmm. me and also I give, of course, a chance for people to correct it, but, but I still lay down that boundary. I say, now, if you want to, by your choice, you know, sort of change your behavior, then of course. But to me, those are the two sides of self-love. So if you want to know, because I, I always go like this, Brendan, I think you're similar to me. I always go, well, there's these concepts we talk about, self-love, they're vague. We have to bring them to a tangible place. Mm -hmm. Self-love can be measured by those two things and other things, but primarily those two things, the degree to which you think other people is generous, the degree to which you think other people are honest, the degree to which you see other people as kind and default to that. Like my younger self, when I didn't have self-love or I didn't have kindness in me, if someone tried to merge in traffic, I'd be pissed off. I'd give them the finger. I'd be like, what the hell's the problem? Now I just go, dude, come on in. No problem. I got you. Yeah. I got you. I spaced the gap. It's, I see this, or you see this all the time, right? I don't get aggressive on the road anymore. Like I did in, when I was 20. In fact, I'm like, Oh, let me, I go out on the road and I'm like, let me take care of team human. Let me yeah. let this person merge in. Let me look out for this person. Let me, you know, I don't mind taking a backseat. I don't mind going slower. Who knows? Maybe I'm going to get in an accident up there or maybe, you know, that's how I approach things. And that tells me my degree of self-love. And also what tells me my degree of self-love is what I will not tolerate from yeah. other people. And those things are powerful things to just measure for yourself. So I don't know if that's helpful for people listening or not, but I'd love your take on that if you have it. Oh, yeah. No, I think that's extremely helpful and tangible to, to kind of bring philosophical to actionable and tangible with um, you know, lead with love is one of my little rules of life that I have if I'm feeling like doing affirmations in the morning or something, but, you know, definitely lead with love. But then, yeah, there's a lot to be said for, for boundaries and practicing healthy boundaries. Uh, everybody needs appropriate healthy boundaries. And, you know, certainly that's where um, I, I've written a little bit, poked fun at kind of this there's a lot of people sort of like, well, I'm guarded, which is like un, like unhealthy boundaries goes too far, mm -hmm. almost kind of this like, well, I'm going to put up these ridiculous boundaries to make it very difficult for you to get close to me. And I'm expecting you to do all the work to overcome those walls if you want to get what's behind all of these walls yeah. and get, you know, it's like, okay, well, really that's being emotionally unavailable and projecting your past traumas onto the other person. Yeah. But then on the flip side of that too, you know, um, if you don't have any boundaries, you're not practicing self-respect and, you know, the world will, will suck you dry. A friend recently, I had a similar, similar dating experience recently, but, you know, recently somebody had said, uh, said it very beautifully, which was, you know, creating boundaries is creating space for good things to grow. And I was like, I like that. I'm going to go with that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that too. But I, I think that's, yeah, I couldn't agree more.
And it's, and you know, it's like, think about our bodies, you know, for those of you who are into health and fitness, you know, boundaries are these things when they're too rigid, that's dysfunctional, mm-hmm. right? That becomes a border, uh, you know, a, a, a battle place, right? If it's too rigid, if it's too flexible, you're flimsy, you got yeah. nothing to stand on. And so yes, you want sort of this ability to bendable boundaries, of course, you know, and I oftentimes talk about that with my with my coaching clients, like, you can bend to a degree. But you know, what you don't want to do is set up these rigid walls. And what you don't want to be is so, you know, flexible, that you've got, you know, you can't have any sort of structure to yourself. Yeah. So we all know if someone, someone's all about weight training, and you know, it's just this rigid brick, they could potentially get injured physically. Mm-hmm. If someone is also hyper flexible, they tend to be injured. It's, it's both. Both ends of those extremes is a problem. What you want to be is strong and rigid and flexible enough, but not too flexible. Mm-hmm. And that same thing happens with the psychological boundaries we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Being able to, uh, you know, I, I think about just all this incoming energy, you know, left and right. People are directing energy, projecting whatever at you. And kind of this ability to, to catch it gracefully uh, and, you know, there's some people like a rigid wall, right? If you throw a tennis ball at a rigid wall, it's just going to bounce right back and hit you in the face. Uh, and on the other side of that, if there's just no wall there or, or a very, very flimsy wall or a glass wall, you're going to break the glass wall and the whole thing shatters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of like, yeah, we, we need that wall that can really kind of gently catch the ball and sort of just drop it right in place. It's a very graceful catch and uh, diffuse that energy and be able to accept it without that rigidity or without too too much fragility. Uh, I actually have a very tangible, I don't know, you ever read the book Give and Take? No. Uh, This is a really tangible example of what Brendan's talking about right here for all of you. I'll I'll give you the research on this, mostly done in research in uh, the workplace, in corporations, but it speaks to all of us. Each of us has a psychological reciprocity style. Mm. So we can be takers, we can be matchers or we can be givers. And you can go online and search reciprocity style and take this quiz. Here's what uh, Brendan's sort of analogy here with this sort of flexible, uh, you know, structured and flexible wall, you know, bendable boundaries. It's basically works like this. If you're a giver, what they found in the research is that givers fare the best of everyone in corporations and they fare the worst. So you might say, what? Yeah. What happened was there's this distribution where they found healthy, functional, successful givers and dysfunctional givers. The difference was in the ability to change their reciprocity style so that when a giver, a healthy, functional giver, confronts a taker, they become a matcher. This is boundaries. In other words, they say, oh, I see you. I see you're a taker. Now I'm going to move into a matching style. Now I just change my reciprocity style and say, you give do for me, I'll do for you. Because I was being very generous. You were taking advantage. And now I'm not mad at you, but now I'm just going to put up my boundaries and we'll have that kind of reciprocity matching back and forth. Now, what happened is we givers love to give. So the whole lead with love thing. So what they actually showed is that even better the people who fared even better were the ones who still got a chance to live. And they called this generous tit for tat, which basically meant they're going to move to matchers and they're going to go tit for tat with you. But every once in a while, they're just going to give to you because they love you. And that's just their their natural thing. And by doing that, here's what's interesting for all of us to know. You run into a taker 
and you keep giving, 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 what most of those givers think is I'll just kill them with kindness. No, you won't. What they'll do is they'll kill you with taking from you. Mm -hmm. And so if you really want to change a taker, and this is what's beautiful about this, if you really want them to change, the only way you change a taker is to become a matcher. And then they are forced to become a matcher. You cannot move a taker right to a giver, almost never. You have to go, I'm a giver. I see you're a taker. I'm going to move to a matcher. And then this person either has to go away, in which case you win, or they become a matcher, in which case now you're even, in which case now maybe you can start going a little bit more generous on occasion, and maybe they'll follow you along. Mm -hmm. That's the way that you do this for people. Because I know you just go, well, boundaries, what if I have to live with my ex? Or what if my brother's a pain in the ass? Or what if my mom abused me when I was a kid, but I still want a relationship or whatever? This is the way to do this. So hopefully mm -hmm. that's helpful for people. I think that's extremely helpful, that, that sort of spectrum. And I think being able to uh, recognize and identify kind of where that other person is energetically for your own well-being. Something I've kind of been, you know, wrestling with past years been really big for me professionally. And, you know, uh, creating boundaries can be hard, especially when you are trying to grow as an entrepreneur and, and whatnot. So uh, certainly it's like, you know, where do you, where do you create those boundaries? And as you said, you know, if you, if you don't have those boundaries and they are a taker, it's like, yeah, you can keep giving and giving, but you're going to get sucked dry, you know, energy vampires is kind of a real thing. Um, but I love that where, you know, it's up to you to recognize that and okay, you know, uh, I'm going to match you and you can either meet me there or you can not and go away. Uh, and by the way, our suffering and our pain is is how we learn boundaries like yeah. you do you know like this individual you know this young kid that i'm working with my friend you know who's like going through this breakup um you know there were wonderful things about this woman that he was involved with there were also things that he probably should put up with later on and so yeah. that that suffering uh you know is really going to help him establish some markers in the sand yeah 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 and you know it's it's weird because like with um you know unconditional love as kind of a good example like oh this sounds great in theory unconditional love love people no matter what uh but then like especially in the world of business or maybe relationships is kind of professional setting personal romantic setting it's kind of like well eh, like it's hard to always, you know, business, it, it's the like very conditional love. Like I pay you this, I do this for you, you know, it, it's, it's bartering. Right. So um, I love what you're saying with kind of the spectrum of the, the reciprocity spectrum, if you will, uh, to help you enforce that. And, and then again, like, Hey, you might get burnt here and there. Yep. That's how you learn. And that's how you learn where those healthy boundaries. Need. And this is probably going to make everyone on the call hate me, but I'll just say <laughs> this. I personally do not believe in unconditional love. I think it's, a, I, and, and I'll explain why. And I know everyone, yeah. and maybe even Brendan's being like, Ooh, Jade, you just dropped like, but here's, <laughs> but here's why I'm all about distinctions in psychology. And I just go, that is a great, beautiful kind of concept. Sure. But to me, if you're someone who has unconditional love, you're someone who doesn't have um, love for self because you'll just let people walk all over you. You have no boundaries. So I just go, I always like to go whenever I hear a concept, like I have several. One is everything happens for a reason. If I really mm. think about that, I go, no, things happen and you make a reason. Another one is unconditional love. I go, no, unconditional love is not a great thing. You do that with anybody. Um, here's what unconditional love is. The, the plane's going down, the airplane oxygen masks drop, and you 
put on someone else's oxygen mask. Then you start walking up and down the aisle trying to put on their oxygen mask. And then you pass the hell out and you saved, you know, five, six people, but you passed the hell out when you could have saved that you put your oxygen mask on, you could have saved a hundred people. See yeah, what I mean? Totally. So to me, I go unconditional love to me is like, no, it is some, it is conditional. Um, mm -hmm. It's definitely conditional with myself too. I'm not just going to forgive myself. Like, think about it. I had a, a great personal failing in my marriage. Now, what if I was just like, you know what? Unconditional love. No problem, Jade. You're yeah. all good, man. Like you're an amazing human. Listen, that don't worry about it. Like just, you know, to me, I was like, no, Jade, like, honestly, I do, you know, I love you. I want to see you grow, but dude, you need to grow the hell up. This yeah. is not the way you do things. So I know some people will be like, well, Jade, it's kind of semantics. I still like the term unconditional love. And I'm like, good. You know, I think we all have to kind of roll this around. But I just say, just think about these things a little yes. bit. Because in a sense, you might say, well, you just described unconditional love in the way I see it. And I'm like, okay, maybe. But I also feel like my behavior is conditional. If I disappoint yeah. myself, I need to grow the hell up. If someone else right. disappoints me, I need boundaries. And, and they either need to grow up or else they're not going to be sort of around me. Totally. I couldn't agree more. I'm really glad you said all that because uh, I, I think you're so right where it's kind of like what you mentioned earlier where, um, you know, like with, with Hitler and, and like the lay person, just like, yeah, I mean, you know, whatever, all is good. Like chill, chill man, like you do you. And it's like, uh, so you're exactly, that's exactly it. And that's where I think in today's world, there is a lot of kind of, you know, running with these concepts that seem very beautiful and altruistic, but are not functional. <laughs> and that's, you know, and therefore they don't work. And therefore right. it's just, it's just, uh, it's just wordplay. And then you just yeah. go, honestly, impeccable with your word. You're not, I know you're not. I've watched you lie. Unconditional love. Uh, you don't, you're judgmental as hell. You're and and to me, it's funny because I, I actually feel, you know, closer to that ideal yeah. of loving humans just yeah. by realizing that, Hey, I got boundaries. I'm, I expect myself to adhere to my honor code. I know I'll fail at times. And so I'm yeah. not going to, but I also expect you to show up in a particular way. And as I get more clear in self-love for myself, I get more clear on who I want in my space and the type of difference I can make in the world. And then a lot of these other things that you and I talk about, like, you know, energetics and losing energy from people and stuff like that, start to take care of themselves because you're starting to get psychologically whole instead of just being yeah. like, that sound, a vulnerability is another one. I love Brene Brown, right? Yeah. But to me, I'm like, there's a time and a place for vulnerability. Yeah. Sometimes, you need to stand on the front lines, sword in hand, and not express any emotion and yeah. do the job that needs to be done. So the right. idea that I'm just going to be vulnerable all the time is a problem. I talk to men about this all the time. I'm like, no, vulnerability is probably not the right way to think about it. Open and available is probably the better way to talk about it for a man because, look, your strength is you got a job to do. Sometimes it's not about expressing your emotions. Sometimes it's stepping up and going to battle. And then yeah. when the battle's done, get vulnerable. Yeah. See, so that's how I tend to look at these things. Totally, totally. And you know, it's, it's kind of the duality of reality, the, the yin yang, the, the balance of it, because I totally agree where um, I've been meaning to write about, you know, uh, suffering silence, right, which, you know, okay, that can go way too far. And, and you know, we've got guys that are just very traumatized and emotionally stunted, and they don't know how to be vulnerable, because they've been program for so long just suffer in silence 
but then well, let's goes, not go to the other extreme either right then it goes then the pendulum swings too far the other way where people are like meh i'm vulnerable and it's like no you have weak <laughs> resolve is what you have exactly. like i you're not my battle buddy i can't rely on you yep. for shit <laughs> yep. i don't want a vulnerable dude sitting on the front lines with me to be no. honest or, or a vulnerable woman sitting on the front lines with me i want them to be i look it's a it's it's this idea of being able to always find this middle ground to be yeah. vulnerable enough and that's why i say i like open and available now yeah. of course i adore Brene brown i eat up everything she writes i mean she's just absolutely amazing but i still as a human and just the way my mind works i'm always thinking about these concepts because mm -hmm. it matters to me right so these distinctions matter mm-hmm you know, and this is exactly why Holistic Savage was my just, you know, it hit me. I was just yep. like, yeah, holistic, because you got to be a little, you know, you, you got to embrace, embrace kind of that, that yin energy, but you've got to got to balance out with the yang, you know, there's, there's a time to be a fucking savage. And there's time to be, you know, vulnerable, holistic, you know, hippie or whatever, but it's, it's I love that name, man. I mean, it, it really you. speaks to exactly <laughs> what we're talking about encapsulates it. Totally, totally. So, you know, that way you can rock the shirt walking down LA because mm -hmm, you're yep, yep. in savage style. Man, you know, this has been an amazing conversation. I know uh, you've got a lot of amazing work to get back to, but I'm truly honored by the conversation we had. I think it was extremely constructive, fruitful, and, you know, I hope it reaches a lot of people and helps them. <laughs> Same, man. I really appreciate you having me. It's like this kind of stuff pumps me up, so I don't yeah. know how many, how many people listening to this love this stuff, but, like, literally I could talk about this stuff all day, every day, because I just love getting your perspective because then again, and then it grows me, and I'm like, oh, he sees it that way, oh, add something to me so i thank you as well my friend and thanks for all your work and uh when you need to get out this way sometime soon man just saying totally totally iron sharpens iron right so yeah totally yeah. next time i'm in the la area i'll definitely hit you up so we can hang out yep. in person absolutely man awesome. thank you brother hey Be thank good. you have a wonderful rest of your day we'll talk soon my friend you too man see ya